It's another session with the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Starring Bruce, John, Trav, Pixie. So sit back and groove with us cats as we spin another session of the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast, your podcast where you go through a portal and find out, oh, we got something coming. Wait a minute. Why isn't my gun working? And why are those powerful-looking paladins coming after me? Yes. I cast Bigby's Hand of Repose. I need a good rest tonight. Oh, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Tonight... This is sort of a pet project of mine. It's sort of a mini-series based on the old episode that I believe Bruce hosted it back in Season 2, adding Fringeworthy to D&D. Now, as you know, D&D has many game settings. I have decided to take it upon myself to break down probably the four four of the major game settings, because I've already gotten flack about, well, what about this setting? What about this setting? The four major settings that I know of, Greyhawk, The Forgotten Realms, which I know Josie, her ears perked up when I said I was going to do that, Dragonlance, and Eberron, the setting that won the, I believe, 2003 Wizards of the Coast setting search. Indeed it did. Yes, and my my personal favorite out of the four. Uh, Tonight we are taping... Adding Fringeworthy to the world of Greyhawk. Now, of course, this is pretty much the iconic setting where in D&D, all of this wizard spells, Mordenkainen, Bigby, Otto, Tasha, all of those wizards and spellcasters came from the Greyhawk setting, the world of Orth. So I have applied this to one of the Fringe worlds. Of course, your mileage may vary. You can put it on whatever one you like. I chose one that fit my particular metaverse that I have. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Josie knows of the big blue binder of doom. Um, yeah, I used the big blue binder. Of yes, doom. I know. Yes, you've used it quite well, actually. You've even managed to surprise me on a few accounts. So, yes, the world of Greyhawk, uh, created by Gary Gygax, and I believe Dave Arneson also had a hand in it is pretty much it's it was the go-to setting for quite a long time i mean heck even stephen colbert made jokes about it when he did the colbert report you know probably showing his geek card by making quips about the world of greyhawk it was a standard and what they call a pseudo medieval fantasy world it had humans dwarves elves gnomes all the various fantasy races you would come to expect if you'd watched lord of the rings Right, yes. If you knew of fantasy worlds, it had those races. It had your orcs, your goblins, hobgoblins, dragons, you know, 
standard fare for a fantasy setting. So I've decided to put it on the fringe paths, and so this, hence when this thought experiment came. Now, I decided to put this world, and I'm having to go around the edge of the table because I have a bunch of books laid out here. I decided to put it on negative 70 prime, which Rich titled Center of the Universe. <laughs> when I read this, well, if, if you know about Greyhawk and how it is set up. I don't. I guess ast astronomically. Oh, oh, then let me read and I, I, will, I will fill you in. Renaissance world that has decided that they are the center of the universe. They are at odds with Father Church, who states that they are a world spinning around a star in a vast universe of other stars and worlds. This is an age of exploration and expansion. The fringe really will be able to see that this world is the center of a small patch of space where the sun and planets revolve around the sun and planets revolve around this massive sun, rich put planet. In fact, this world may be Earth. Yeah, well, again, why we still love them to this day. Oh, no, it, he, he's saying it's a um, uh, Earth-centric uh, solar system. Yes. Garrett? Yes, Greyhawk yeah, is... I remember yeah. reading that one. Yes, Greyhawk I, is... I remember, a, looking, is I remember looking at that entry and going, hey? Yeah. Oh, no, that is the one... That's one of the things that makes Greyhawk unique, that Greyhawk was, for all intents and purposes, the center of the universe. The sun revolved... Uh, Liga, I believe, is the name of the star, revolves around the planet. As do the other planets. And mm -hmm. the stars are? I believe the star of Greyhawk is called Liga, L-I-G-A. No, 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 not the sun. The, the other stars in the sky. I believe so. But what, at least what, the, what at least the system I know of. I'm not sure of how they had the other stars, but I know that the system was a quote-unquote Earth-centric system. So um, let's see what else here. In fact, this world may be Earth normal in gravity, but is over 290,000 miles in diameter, and a small orange star does orbit around it. Now, I put in for my campaign that the fringe, where they, when they come through, they'll still see the star as yellow. That's just my own personal. But I did plant eight of the, the eight portals in various places around the continent. Okay, for the Greyhawk setting, the major continent that you would venture on is known as the Fl Flanace. F-L-A-N-A-E-S-S. -S. And in that continent, you have all the iconic areas of D&D. Blackmoor, the Barrier Peaks, the Hell Furnaces, the Amedio Jungle, um, Greyhawk and Divers, the Karusk the Mountains. All these various set areas in this setting that if you're a fan of Greyhawk, you know these names, are all in that continent. Now, I'll be getting a lot of my information from the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer, which had a lot more information than just the regular Greyhawk Gazetteer. Um, okay, I will bring this back over here. And uh, let's see, we have... Yes, so the eight portals... Number one is Church City, and I put that in Mitric Baluna. Mitric is the capital city of the nation of Baluna. It is a theocratic nation, and Mitric is about 16,200 people. And Baluna, human theocracy with some elves in it, it's a relatively major trade area in this nation. I had the page and fell over just a <laughs> 
See, this is what editing can do. Get all this out. Okay. If explorers come through and they would and they see the area, they would see that generally it looks like a orderly, peaceful place. I would gather that from the fact that because they have a list of align general alignments that are in each nation, the top one is lawful good. This is a peaceful, kind, theocratic nation. The church operated state operates for the benefit of the people. Basketball is a peaceful planet. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Trav, uh, uh, where I'm looking at the the map, that interactive map I found, about where is that? Uh, Baluna? Is it on the Azure Sea? Or the no, no, Baluna is up near, it is north of the Lortmill Mountains. Gesundheit. Uh, <laughs> Lortmill Mountains. There's the Griff Mountains. There's a sad for that. Yeah. What's that phrase? It's a topical cream you can apply. And notice I said something you can apply. Yeah. Um, okay. There's oh, there's Lort Mill. Oh, Valuna. I thought you said Valuna. Yeah, Valuna. V e l u n a. Yeah. No, no. And I thought you were saying. I, I thought you were saying with the B. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's a, that is fairly central. Is even on a river. Yes. Oh no, Mitrick being the capital, you know they're going to put it on a river where there's trade. Yeah. And so, yes, the first it is the capital city. So you're going to come through, and most likely you're going to see a relatively a medieval city that have 16,000 people in it. It's going to be a decent-sized area. And you're going to see, as I said, Lava Good, usually I see, you know, it's, it's bright and it's shining and it's a welcoming place. And it is the, the religion, the main religion is the god Rao, R-A-O. Greater good, greater God of peace, reason, and serenity. He's also known as the mediator or the calm God. So yeah, things such as law, order, justice, kindness, benevolence are going to be exemplified in the culture and in the architecture. And you're going to see be seeing like instead of gargoyles, you'll see angels on the sides of the churches and stuff. So generally, you're going to come through this and you're going to be looking around. Well, it looks like a pretty decent place. Yeah. So. That's where I put the first portal. The second portal, I put Deep River Valley. Now, if you are a Greyhawk fan, when you say valley, usually the first thing that's going to come to mind is the Valley of the Mage. Now, it is a small valley on the southwest, southeast side of the Barrier Peaks. Now, there was a very powerful mage. Get his name right here. Duran Crimea decided to set up shop here, and he has valley elves who pretty much guard the area. There's only because these aren't just like a valley and hills. No, these this is like a mountain valley, which means there is only one way in and out. So that entrance is going to be extremely heavily guarded. Yeah, I think it's on the interactive map we were looking at. It's the Valley of the Mage. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, that that made that's where I put the second warp toward the end of it. Which means if you're coming through this warp, you're going to have these valley elves wondering how did you get in here? Yeah, because usually elves. The answer is always magic, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're valley elves, uh, li like for sure. 
I, I was waiting. <laughs> I guess the answer in this case is oops. Yeah. All right, so I see Mossberg and Burrowville. Is Burrowville a hobbit home? <laughs> Badgertown. I wonder what happened there to get the for them to name it Badgertown. <laughs> well, maybe they collected badger pelts. Yeah, or there was an an unfortunate story of the of the of the parish priest and the badger. Yeah, that's that's also good for naming a city too. Infestation <laughs> of badgers. Yeah. That's why they say they don't need any stinking badgers anymore. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so it's a small village. Most of these are villages, 60 to 200 people. Well, yeah, yeah. The Valley of the Mage, at the most, it's going to have, you know, maybe some farms in it, you know, just to give food. And, of course, they're going to be giving their food to Joran Crimea's, you know, tie their tribute. But... Yeah, the fact that you get in there through that warp, and most people know the only way in or out of that is the end of the valley where the it's going to be highly guarded. After a while, you're going to be dealing with an inhabitant of that valley wondering why you're there. Yeah. Now, the third one, it forest, and I put it in the gnarly forest between Divers and Greyhawk. Now, Divers and Greyhawk are pretty much smack dab in the center of the Flannes. Two very prosperous and old cities. And if you look at the Flanace, pretty much it, these two are central to that continent. So you go through, and even, even if you're in the countryside, you're still going to be seeing villages off in the distance and two major cities, like basically one to the left and one to the right. Because, yeah, both Greyhawk and Divers, gosh, Divers, and I just had the population here for them too. Oh, there it is. Oh, it's a square, so it's like ten thousand or more, or hundred thousand. Oh, the free the freelands of divers, yeah, fifty two thousand for divers. Yeah. I was just going with and the lead hawk itself. Heck, that's sixty nine thousand five hundred. So yeah, these yeah. cities are five to six times bigger than metric. You're going to be having all sorts of well, what would be considered development with air quotes but even for a medieval because remember you had your walled city and then for miles and miles around you had farms that all you know Mm. these cities so you're going to be in rather developed farmland bordering the gnarly forest okay ah gnarly forest and there's gnarly vergia You can tell a gamer. You can tell a gamer made these names up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Now the fourth one just says Old Mountain. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, folks. It's near the Barrier Peaks, near Hornwood in the land of. See, I've heard it, Geoff. I've heard it, Jeff. Jeff. No. Jeff. Yeah, and I think one of Gygax's friends was named Jeff, and he just named the nation after him. So grand- yes. Yes, the barrier peaks. We all, if you're a Greyhawk fan, as I said, you know where the where this is going to lead. Oh God, yes, and yes. that's actually oh, put yeah. you within it, put you in a couple days drive to the to the peaks in your truck in your vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, I've run a modern day, actually a bureau campaign where the team got sent to Greyhawk, so I ran them through that module. How many oh. survived? 
One time. <laughs> How many well, survived? Well, no, I, I, my, what they throw at me, I misread humus as hummus. That, that I got blasted with for about a year by Eric the Enabler. Yeah, you want some humus? You want some only a year? You want some humus to go with those chips? Yeah. Actually, a floor covered in hum and hum and hummus would be much more hard to get across than humus. Yeah. Oh no, the expedition, the Barrier Peaks, where I deter and and I used a lot of third party and other research to find out where exactly in the barrier peaks mm -hmm. yeah it'd be about it well through mountains it'd be a couple days drive but it's like the next hex over so oh, okay. most I'm likely looking, you'd I'm, be coming I'm, upon that big metal cylinder with all those doors on it actually it was a disc oh no i remember it was like a six-story round tower yeah but it's it's a disc and it's yeah. Well, for those of you who don't know, and I know John knows this, and probably Bruce does too, the expedition of the bar to the Barrier Peaks, that was part of the old Metamorphosis Alpha ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, they couldn't do that. You know, they had to, you know, they couldn't, you know, again, rub off the serial numbers, as J.P. Haley says. But yeah, I found that out, that that ship was supposed oh, no. to actually be part of the old metamorphosis alpha starship oh there was no rubbing out the 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 um the serial numbers in this one uh because basically tsr owned metamorphosis alpha uh so it was more along the line of uh you know what it's an it was a sister ship <laughs> well no from what i remember reading in the module was yeah it broke apart and several plates several of the pieces which this mm -hmm. piece in the module was like six decks so mm -hmm. this had to have been a massive ship to split up like that. That one went through a portal, ended up in this universe. Yeah. Yeah. Fully functional. Yeah. Which would mean it would have had several redundant system reactors and gravity generators and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean. And mushroom people. Oh, yes. The Veggie Pygmies, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have now number five, the Polar Desert. Now, polar desert mm. for me, I, that means tundra. Because technically, the term desert just means an exceedingly dry area. It do, We think default, oh, a desert, it's a hot place. No, technically, you could have an Arctic desert. Mongolia is not a hot place. Right. but and the, it is steps, a desert. Yes, and the, the Gobi steppes in Mongolia are some of the most arid places on the planet. And technically, the South Pole is a desert. There's no water there. There's no Just, liquid water there. Yeah, and no liquid water. And it's the driest place in the world after some deserts. Ooh, okay. Well, I put that up in that, what was it, the fifth portal up in the barren wastes. Now, that is all the way at the northern edge of the Flannies on... The, oh, near the land of black ice? Yes. That is just east, a little, well, like east-southeast of the land of Black Ice and Blackmore. Uh, the Barren Waste is in between the Berniau and the Forlorn Forests, and it is pretty much a polar desert. It's just nothing but frozen dry tundra. Oh, and okay, yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, that little stretch of white on the map. Yeah. Okay. So... Six, Tropical Forest, east of Crow Turlep. Now, Crow Turlep, 
is in a peninsula far to the south. We are talking humid jungle rainforest type. And it's on the peninsula that is run by a group of lawful evil monks known as the Scarlet Brotherhood. Oh, I'm hearing John laugh, and I'm sure he knows of them, too. Yes. Um, so, again, it's going to be strange people coming out, and you're going to be seeing these red row monks coming out to lay some smackdown on you. Because these guys are not nice. The Scarlet Brotherhood, they, they're doing some... There's very little that is known about this area. I mean, they list the names of the cities, but even in the living Greyhawk Gazetteer, population unknown. Population unknown, because very few people have gone there and come back to tell the tale. Yeah, the, the 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 map scale shows Tari as being the biggest city, which puts it at. So it's a it's a it's a Roach Motel, is what you're trying to tell us. You can go in. You're not coming out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, it's like the Hotel of California. You can check out, but you can never leave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tari's between ten thousand twenty five thousand people, but it's a port city, so you can imagine that's one of the few places you probably could go to and leave safely. Yeah, Crow Turlep is also a port city. Yeah, it's a little so smaller. I, I put the warp to the west of it, so it's in the jungle. You're going to be going through the jungle, and after a while, you're going to hit this city and just, yeah. Everybody there is wearing red robes, and you're probably sure they got a few weapons hidden on them somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the Scarlet Brotherhood, as I said, this is a, as I said, if, folks, if, you, if you're fans of Greyhawk, these names I'm throwing at you, you're going. Trav put that warp there? Wow. And he says he's a malicious, malicious prick. He's not lying. Um, <laughs> well, we no, still I mean, love him. Well, <laughs> these are areas that when I'm reading these various things, I'm looking, oh, this would go good here. This would go. So, And then Portal 8, Rocky Beach, south of Stoneheim in the Pomarge. Pomarge is, well, originally it was dwarves were mining there, and then a bunch of orcs came up and said, oh, this looks nice. It's ours now. It's pretty much an all-orc nation. Hmm. Now, you come out of the portal and you're going to be seeing this dwarven-looking city, but you're going to be seeing, you know, like a lot of orc runes and stuff. Even though usually the the convention is that orcish still uses a dwarven-like rune-type alphabet. So, but yeah, the Pomarge, they, they, that main, that city, Stoneheim, it's pretty much used... We train more orcs to fight battles for us. It is a giant military city, if you can imagine orcs with any type of organized military. But yeah, that's pretty much all that Stoneheim is used for. So you would be seeing that, and you would just be able to tell, okay, we made a wrong turn somewhere. This is not a place where we want to hang around. And if there's an orc patrol out there, yeah, then you're going to find out just how many orcs there are. Grishnak does not like you. What what what's that term? I don't know how many orcs they have, but I know how many orcs it took to take us down. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley just give me these look like oh. <laughs> so yeah, those are where I put the eight portals, mm-hmm. and a bunch of them are sort of close together. But that's just because with the descriptions I looked and I looked through the gazers and okay, this would fit here. Yeah. So as far as you come through one of these, and let's say, because all of these are in relatively, well, a few of them are in relatively, what's the term I'm looking for? Well, not urban areas, so you're probably going to run across a monster. Mm-hmm. And 
use the wandering monster table. Monster series. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that there. There's going to be a wandering monster roll, and you're going to have to pull out your gun. (laughs) And well, now I asked Bruce and John to each cover a facet of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, John, what was the tech level that you found generally in the world of Greyhawk? It's it well interesting. Yeah, this is where it gets difficult. It's anywhere from uh, late medieval to somewhere in the Renaissance. And the reason why I say Renaissance because a lot of the halberds only existed in the Renaissance period. Halberds, all those pole arms, half of them come from Renaissance era. Halberds, okay, halberds. Yeah, all the halberds. Oh my God, the Gizian Boule, whatever, you know, all those. Gary Gygax had a thing for pole arms. And half of them come so from the Renaissance era. Late PL again, folks. As, as you know, I use the stuff from the D20 SRD. Mm-hmm. Late PL2, early PL3. Yeah. As I said, late medieval to early Renaissance. Yeah. If you have I always crossbows, assumed it was PL3. Yeah, well, yeah, because yeah. crossbows would be considered a PL3 invention because yeah. of the gears and pulleys needed to draw the, you know. There you go. Mm-hmm. So early Renaissance. Yeah. Out in the farms, you'd have still a medieval level of technology. Yeah, I mean, but the they have. What was that, Bruce? Oh, this is John. Okay, uh, and but also looking at the weapons, there are some fairly advanced uh, siege weapons, which again are fall into the early Renaissance era as well. So mm, it's it's a mixture. It's your standard fancy setting. Well, yeah. Well, it depends <laughs> on, on certain cultures, and because yeah, this place. Is a mismatch of cultures, and I gave kind of gave that to Bruce. We'll get that in a bit, but I gave John the tech part of it because there's a certain aspect of technology that kind of has its own little category. Now, if it's medieval and Renaissance, that means pre-industrial, no steam tech. Mm-hmm. Might have a clockwork in a major city. Uh, definitely will have locksmiths. It will definitely have uh, bellcasters. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I'd say give them a couple hundred years and they'd be in a steam age. Yeah. By the way, there is a wonderful post-industrial Greyhawk article in a Dragon magazine. You'd have to look it up. I forget which issue, but... Yeah. But, yeah, it just, you know, what Travis is talking around here is, yeah. is, is firearms. Yeah. And the thing is, though, because of various things, and this and this is based on various things written, I, and I did my research on this. Oh yes, folks, he he fluttered our faces. <laughs> I dug through. Um, uh, well, lot, lot, I didn't know about. Yeah, and uh, firearms don't exist in the world of Greyhawk, not because you can't make them, but because they just don't exist. It doesn't stop them from being there. There's an example of a character from Gygax's own uh, game um, who basically had a pair of six shooters. And when you look at the stuff in the Barrier Peaks in in the spaceship, there's stuff there that makes firearms look sick, and they all work. So the answer is firearms. Yeah, yeah, if you got a rifle, it'll work. The question is, will you be able to reload it? Uh, you know, basically, can you make more bullets? And the answer probably is no. And not because 
you know, black powder, black powder burns just fine. You pull into a plate, put a match to it, it lights. But if you try to make it, first of all, you're not making black powder, you're making smokeless, which is even more di- difficult. And because you don't want to use black powder in a modern day weapon, you get two shots and that's it. Um, yeah. But what we best I can tell from reading all the various articles on this is that the gods don't prevent gunpowder from working. They prevent you from making good gunpowder. They screw with the weapons. So when you're busy making that that uh, that handgun, that arquebus, you get the bore wrong. So when you put a bullet in, it gets halfway down and stops. Oh. <laughs> See, now, okay, well, then this, this is where, this is what I found out. The aforementioned yeah. um, cowboy with the six shooters, what was the guy's name again, the player that played him? Uh, let me get the name. I had I had I had the article open. There it is. Uh, the car- guy's name is uh, Don Kane. Yes, he was a friend of Guy Gax's who basically said, "I want to play this cowboy character." Now we found out, John and I, before the taping, we found out that Don Kane ended up making the uh, TSR game Boot Hill. Yep. So yeah, this guy was a fan of the old west and wanted to make an old west role playing game. So Doc Merland, M U R L Y N D. Mm-hmm. was rifted to the world of Greyhawk, and he adventured and became powerful. And after a while, he was noticed by the god of good and light, Hieronius, and was basically ascended to demigod level. So mm-hmm. Merlin now was a demigod, and therefore he had paladins that fought on his behalf. Now, from what I read was the only beings in Greyhawk that can use... Any type of firearms are the paladins of Merlin, who, strangely enough, dress like cowboys. Most yep. paladins you see, oh, yes, I have my plate mail and my seat. No, they walk around like they're in the Old West. And they are the only beings on Greyhawk that are allowed by the gods to use any type of firearms. That yeah. is what I've always read in the 20-plus years that I've been playing in the Greyhawk setting. No, God, more than that. Yeah. But, and- yeah, John all of a sudden hits us with all this new information this week. And I'm just like, man, he, okay. What, what that was he on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and don't worry, we're not going to bore you with it all. Basically what it comes down to your players and their firearms will work just fine. Uh, and if they try to do reloads during the 18 hours before, you know, the, uh, the, they become great hockey in, They'll be able to successfully reload rounds and so forth. After that, nah, it's just going to be the, the when they try to reload a bullet, they'll just mash the bullet. You know, Mario, it'll be unable to put it into the barrel. I mean, basically, it'll be a complete comedy of errors trying to make rounds. You know, and if you try to, if they're trying to make their own smokeless, um, yeah, it, the, the thing is, it, you can't make it into bombs. It just won't. It, you, you, okay, you get so pro- you can't even make like Renaissance era grenades in this world. Nah, it basically you get the proportions wrong. So all you do is making a smoke bomb at best. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you will never get the proportions right, <clears throat> or other things will happen. Like, like when you grab that bottle of alcohol, you actually grab the acid instead, and that sort of does a number on the on the uh, saltpeter. Okay, and- so that's <laughs> what that's what the gods do. They just mess yeah. around with things where you thought it was this bottle and it was that bottle or yeah no, that, yeah it's because i think someone like the god uh, delib probably told him no you can't make it so that 
oxygen and carbon don't combine. If you did that, you'll kill everything on the world. Because <laughs> ah. there's no way there's no way to tell the difference between gunpowder going off, a log burning, or you digesting food. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's all there's no problem. it's no difference. <laughs> Or breathing. There's no. There's no way to, to, to make a, differentiate between you breathing, and oxidizing and, and processing the oxygen and gunpowder going off. Hmm. Okay. It's the same process, just one's a little slower than the other. Okay. So then, what about <laughs> let's say because I get tend to bring a lot of tech with them. Mm-hmm. Now the wind up, should that be able to work? I mean, that's all mechanical. Yeah. Sure. Mechanical. Yeah. Has the has the saucer section and 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 uh, stopped working in, in the Barrier Peaks? Nope, it still works. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, will anything you bring in? Basically, everything will work. You just can't make it. Okay, all right. Yeah. So that is a decently <laughs> a decently evidence supported answer to that question. Thank you. All right. Yeah, yeah. If you try to make your own clockwork thing, you may have to talk to a gnome about it, and he'll make something about five times the size. You know, well, it might yeah, work. I, I use gnomes <laughs> as, if you want the high tech like that, go to a gnome. That's pretty much yeah. my invention in all my fantasy settings. So. Yeah. It may have a couple of squirrels inside running it, but, you know. <laughs> as long as it's not a tinker gnome. <laughs> From Corinne, we're fine. We'll get on that on a later podcast. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Okay. But you, but you did mention though, as you start using, so uh, as I think, as word gets out that you're using firearms, you did mention that a couple of paladins may show up and go, "Well, there, partner, what you doing there with that? They're firearm." <laughs> Might want to put that hog iron down. Yeah. Yeah. He's there coming at you like Channing Tatum in the second Kingsman Kingsman movie. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 just for folks to understand, well, I want my firearms. I say firearms probably the the least powerful weapon you can use in Greyhawk. Well, come on, it's a realm of magic. I mean Yeah. There's things out there that a dagger would be less. (laughs) Yes. But there's unless it's a dagger of negation or something like that, you know. Magic always trumps everything, John. You know that. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, it, when it comes to magic items, I mean, a wand of a wand of uh, magic missiles always hits. Yes. Especially I think the only thing that currently in like Pathfinder rules that stops a magic missile, I think, is spell resistance, or yeah. like force resistance of some type. Yeah, and it by- me, like, if you're behind the wall of force, it's going to bounce off. Yeah, it's it's basically and bypasses all well armor doesn't do, reduce damage in D and D, so no, it bypasses armor. Yeah, and all you need to do is see. You just gotta see them a partial partial cover. You you can shoot at them. You see an eyeball looking through a hole. You can shoot them. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's what do they, what do they call it nine tenths cover. Yeah. Yeah, so it's much more powerful than any pistol you can wield, <laughs> or okay. any rifle. All right, but anyway, but anyway, yeah, that's you know that's all we need to talk about that subject. There's bigger and better things out there. And it has much better range. All right, think, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I I'd mentioned that uh, that there are several cultures, and of course you have mm-hmm. dwarves, gnomes, elves, halflings. Mm-hmm. The other I was looking up in the gray and uh, the gray space wiki on the uh, uh, gray and the gray uh, gray hawkery timeline on, on the gray hawkery site. Hobnis are halflings. Yeah, just that enough not to get in get in trouble with a certain 
yeah, family yeah. Who's li- who likes to have you know three layer three layer first three 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 initial first names. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the family of a certain uh, British um, fantasy author professor. Yeah. Yes. Who okay. had two? Who had two token um, uh, characters in a movie recently? That 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 team is going to get beaten. <laughs> it is. Uh, it hasn't stopped winning yet, though. Oh no, it's still funny. Give it another couple. Of anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I mentioned that earlier that the various human cultures that are on this world that task I gave to Bruce. Now I mean they're. You have, as I said, all your demi-human races, dwarf, gnome, halfling, yeah. But the humans are of six distinct ethnicities. That is true. Um, yeah. So, Bruce, what did you find? And it's funny because in my campaign, I just made them that they were, oh, if they're like this and they're of this nationality. For me, it was that easy. But what did, what did you find, Bruce? Okay, so... Uh... There, so there, I really didn't find much about their culture, uh, more like some of their values and things like that. So my uh, the challenge you made to me, Trav, was that I was to try to map them to uh, an Earth culture that we know of. Yeah, I mean, try to I... let the players say, hey, if I'm going to play this these guys, then this is what they should act like. So let's pick off. Let's let's start off at the top. Which you know, uh, it's it's not really exactly alphabetical, um, but the uh, Bucklunish. Yes. Uh, now they have golden skin. Uh, they're not very mixed with other races. They're nomadic. They have straight and dark fine hair, long limbs and facial features with high cheekbones, and. They have a very large dependent upon uh, riding animals and draft animals. Uh, they use classic language, classical their personal classical language in religious observances and rituals, their higher learning and fine arts, and this has maintained their ancestral traditions. Honor, family, generosity, and piety are their fundamental virtues. Okay, so who are they? I say they're Plains Indians. Uh, I see them more as Middle Eastern. Nope, I do not. Uh, first of all, their golden skin falls more toward the reddish skin of the Plains Indians. They're nomadic. Uh, they're also insular, you know, so which they tend not to mix a whole lot with the other tribes. Uh, the Middle Eastern would be very mixed. The high cheekbones... The long limbs, if you see, uh, I mean, I realize that you, you look at pictures of, of uh, Sitting Bull, he has a very round face. But most of, um, of the Indian tribes actually have very long faces and, and they're very long-limbed. So anyways, and of course, you know, the use of, 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 of their classical language and their songs and dance and rituals, which e- even though they might use another tongue when talking to strangers or even amongst themselves, they keep... The, the, their traditions alive through that, through their spoken word. That's all very much Indian tradition. So that's my call. Okay. Uh, you're welcome right. to do whatever you want to. Uh, all right. and, and, and also because later on we're going to put the Middle East somewhere. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So then we have the Oridian. Now, uh, they have round or square faces. They can be temperamental or aggressive. They have a preference for a strict social order. 
uh, usually considering themselves to be top of that same social order. Their skill at warfare is unsurpassed, but in peacetime, they are practical, hardworking, and tend to be uninterested in intellectual pursuits. Germans. Oh, those, their skin colors range from tan to olive, though. I put them as Mediterranean, especially Greek. See? Yeah. But see, yeah. This, that's, that's not really, you know, I, I don't see that as their culture. I pretty much kind of ignored most of the skin coloring kind of things because if you're, I mean, if you're trying to map them back to somebody, you know, these are, these are you know, exotic versions of things so they're going to go in different directions but considering all the things they said about their temperament and their and, and their society and such they sounded very german prussian to me okay okay so then we go to the sewell and they're decadent cruel proud opinionated selfish blunt but only the elite are that way they prefer mental pursuits especially magic Italian, especially post-Roman Italian. Now, this okay. is where I went Nordic or Germanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, all right. Mm-hmm. You, know, no, you, think I, about I, the, you think about the decadent Romans. Yeah, okay, I Caligula, see Caligula, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I think you really need to look more culture rather than skin color. Cause, yeah. yeah. yeah you got to let that go. Yeah. All right. If so not, make him let it go. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to Flam. Okay. Uh, they have broad, strong faces and sturdy builds. They have a history of isolation. Uh, they have a big preference for outdoors. And even though city dwellers tend gardens and they're nomadic. So I saw them as Russian. Now, those are the ones I saw as Plains Indians. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I can see them as, as uh, if not Russian, uh, the uh, um, not um, Uzbekans or basically they're they're step step Russians. Okay. Yeah, they, they grew. Yeah, they grew up in the steppes. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, I mean, they, for most of hist- our own history, Russia was just this place on the map. There wasn't really supposed to be any people there. But if, of course, you went there, you found them. They were, they were, you know, they had tribes and 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 everything else. And, and sometimes they were nomadic. And uh, so I'm just saying, is it this this to me? And of course, I was grabbing for the strong faces and the sturdy builds there. Yep. And you know, half of and half the and half the Russians are, of course, from Scandinavia. Who do you think settled there? The Norse, the Nords, the Norse, the Danes. Yeah, and I the, would disagree the, with you, sir. I, I studied that area extensively. Well, the Norse did get around. Yes, they did. All right. Omen. Short, dark. Culture is rooted in religion and spirit worship. Having a lot of slavery is predominant in the culture. Middle Eastern or Eastern Asian. Really? Here I went with Mesoamerican like Aztec, Incan, Mayan. To be continued. 
This podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and make all attributions to the TriTech Games Podcast. The views, information, concepts, or opinions expressed during the TriTech Games Podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of TriTech Talents LLC or make claims to its intellectual properties as well as any other properties mentioned in this podcast.